Welcome to the Wordy Girl Entertainment Podcast. I am your writer-in-chief, Rosalind Jackson. I am a lover of words, and that love led me to a passion for writing. And what's the next best thing to writing? Talking about writing. So kick back and join me for mind-blowing chats about writing, covering everything from screenplays to novels to poetry, from nonfiction books to songwriting, and much more. Thank you for tuning in to my Screaming at the Screen series. This is a series where I review television shows and movies. I give a recap of what happened on the show or in the movie, and I give my commentary about it. And the little things that I shout out at the screen while I'm watching. Today's review is for Scandal, Season 7, Episode 18, Over a Cliff. And this is the final episode ever of Scandal. And anybody who knows me knows that I'm a diehard, ride-or-die gladiator. I've been watching Scandal since day one, and the minute the character stepped onto the screen, I was hooked. Despite all of their law-breaking and scandal-making, I fell in love with the characters. Shonda Rhimes is my writing idol, and uh, she created a show that just became my favorite TV show of all time. There's just something about it that I connected with and just adore. So this series finale is really hard for me. I'm so sad to see the show end. I'm like, what am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with my Thursday nights? How am I going to live? I bet next Thursday, you're liable to find me in my apartment in the dark, sitting on the floor in the middle of the floor, drinking wine, and rocking back and forth. <laughs> I'll be okay. I'll be okay. But let's get started with this review. So here we go. Now, we open the episode with Olivia arriving at some dark, abandoned warehouse where she meets with the prosecutor, uh, Lonnie Macon. And she finds out that he's not going to investigate Cyrus's airplane jacking or B613, or B613. But he promises to get her a Senate hearing instead if in exchange she can guarantee that Millie will make gun control a priority. She tells him she can do it if Cyrus and Jake go to jail and B613 is dismantled. So... Lonnie, he proceeds to pull out a gun. And I'm like, Lonnie, you ain't crazy. You better watch yourself. (laughs) Olivia thinks he's about to shoot her, but he tells her this is how she's going to get her Senate hearing. Uh, Remember in an earlier episode, we found out that Lonnie's son was killed due to gun violence. And uh, he figures killing himself is the only way he can get the president to do anything about gun control. So Lonnie bites the bullet right in front of Olivia. Next, we see Sally Langston. She informs her lovers of liberty that the Senate hearing is up and running. 
Cyrus storms into Jake's office and orders him to kill all the members of the committee. Jake says they don't have anything to worry about now that Lonnie is dead. Cyrus reminds him that David is the head of the Justice Department, and that means they're screwed. Back at QPA, David explains to the gladiators that Cyrus and Jake will be investigated and jailed for their crimes committed under B-613. Huck realizes that they will go down, too, because of their own B-613 crimes. Yep, y'all did the crime, so y'all gonna have to do the time. Olivia meets with Daddy Pope in the park. She confesses that she was the one who exposed B-613. She wants his help to save the country, but Daddy Pope is like, hell no, I'm retiring. He gives her an envelope with the deed to his house and account numbers for offshore bank accounts and trust funds that he set up for Olivia and her future child. See, Daddy has always loved his baby girl. He made sure she will be taken care of. Olivia can't understand why Daddy Pope isn't supportive of her wanting to save the country. After all, didn't he raise her to be a good person? Daddy Pope lets her know that there's a difference between him raising her to be a good person and her doing Massa's dirty work with a smile on her face. Olivia can't see the difference between what she's doing and what Daddy Pope has done for the same white people to protect their republic. He tells her it was his republic he was protecting because he was in charge and he made the rules. Olivia thinks coming out of the shadows and standing in the light by protecting the people is going to make the country better. Daddy Pope is like, girl, you don't know these white people like I do. Marcus shows up at the White House to talk to Melly. He finds her drinking her signature hooch and staring at her presidential painting, which was supposed to be unveiled at the National Gallery, but was postponed on account of the B-613 hearings. She grapples with the fact that nobody will recognize her as a great president, but as an impeached president. Marcus tries to tell her different, but she silences him by getting down to the real reason she invited him there. She's going down, so there's no time to waste anymore. She grabs Marcus and kisses him. Back at QPA, the gladiators sit around the conference table, fidgeting and worrying about their testimonies. Quinn is freaking out about baby Robin growing up without her parents. Olivia tries to console her, but Quinn tells her to shut up. Girl, who you think you talking to? But Olivia gives her a pass because she knows Quinn's worries are valid. Abby is worried that David will move on eventually after growing tired of having a prison bay. Huck isn't worried about prison. After all, he's been in the hole. He eats prison for breakfast. What he's worried about is speaking in front of the 15 members of the Senate committee. Poor Huck, always so painfully shy. The B613 hearings begin. All the gangs there, the gladiators, Fitz, Melly, even crazy ass Hollis Doyle and creepy ass Tom. You know Tom is all too happy to drop a dime on Cyrus. Ain't nothing like a lover scorned. They confess their deeds and implicate Cyrus and Jake for the airplane hijacking, the assassination of President Rashad, and the crimes of B-613. Later, David tells them to expect jail time for some of them and suggests that they get their affairs in order. 
Olivia makes a request to David to let Quinn visit Charlie in prison. And the rest of the gladiators go with her. They tell him everything. Quinn asks Charlie to marry her right then and there. She came prepared wearing a white dress under her coat. Abby hands her a bouquet of flowers and Huck officiates on account of his last minute online certification. We find out Charlie's government name. Can you believe it's Bernard Gusky? That's one homely name. They all get a chuckle out of it. Quinn vows to never hack Charlie without cause, to always help him find the bodies without question, and to always have his six. Spoken like a true assassin. On the way to his car, David runs into Jake. Jake threatens him to drop the case by walking him down memory lane to the time when he shot and killed Cyrus's husband, James, right in front of David for threatening to expose Sally Langston's murder of her husband and Cyrus's help in covering it up. David remembers it well, but this time his fear is replaced with anger. He's tired of being Jake's bitch. He tells Jake he's the one who's the bitch because he's just a hired gun for everybody, including Cyrus. David is like, if you're going to shoot me, then do it because I'm not scared of you anymore. He hits Jake with a dose of reality. Either do Cyrus's dirty work or put on the white hat. Jake knows he's right. So he lets David go. Now that's how you get down, David. Charlie Brown finally told Lucy off for moving that football. Cyrus is bad mad because David is still alive. He has the gall to accuse Jake of not having the guts to kill David. Um, Cyrus, have you met Jake? Jake kindly reminds him that he's a killing machine and he can kill anybody anytime he gets good and ready. He adds that Cyrus doesn't have the right to tell him about killing until he grows the balls to carry out the dirty deed himself. And with that, Jake goes home. Later in bed, David is quite proud of himself as he tells Abby about his run-in with Jake. But she's more concerned about going to prison tomorrow morning. David gets a call from Cyrus. He wants to cut a deal. Now, David, you just grew a pair and here you go being gullible again. Everybody and their mama knows Cyrus Bean ain't taking the fall for nothing. Cyrus hands David a letter confessing to the hijacking of his own airplane and framing Melly. He wants to have a farewell drink with David. David says no, but we all know Cyrus doesn't take no for an answer. Right then and there, I knew David was a goner. Cyrus goes about telling David how much of a monster he has been. Next thing you know, David starts coughing and choking, and he falls on the floor gasping for air. Cyrus just sits there looking at him, waiting for him to die. But apparently it's taken too long for him to die, so Cyrus speeds it up by smothering him with a pillow. Cyrus, I hate your guts, every single one of them. We were rooting for you, and you go and do this, you just went too far. I'm like, oh, David. <laughs> the gladiators gather around David's cold body at the morgue. Olivia tells them the coroner says he died of a heart attack, but they all know Cyrus is the one who did it. Quinn points out that now that David is dead, they're all going to prison. Abby doesn't want to hear that kind of talk. 
She tells them they have to fight for their lives now. Huck wants to handle it, but Olivia says no, because they are the only good guys left. Quinn goes to Daddy Pope for help. She's really desperate. She wants him to use his resources to send her and her family to some remote place in the world. But Daddy Pope isn't willing to risk his freedom for theirs. Olivia doubts herself for trying to do the right thing. Fitz tries to defend her, but she admits to being the problem for everything that has happened. And then in comes the Olitz theme song. And I'm like, oh, Lord, not the Olitz theme song. Tears. <laughs> Olivia gives Fitz two options. They could either keep arguing about doing the right thing or they can do something else. And Fitz takes something else for 400 Alex. He utters those four words that sparked the point of no return for Olitz seven seasons ago. Take off your clothes. Yes! <laughs> and I guarantee you, they took more than just one minute. The next morning, the gladiators are prepared to walk the plank, but the committee has postponed their recommendations because they have a new witness. Old Daddy Pope takes a seat in front of the Senate committee. They have a little chuckle when he tells him he's not there speaking as Eli Pope the citizen, but as Rowan, killer and commander of B613. And they're like, yeah, okay, black man. Daddy Pope proceeds to snatch their edges by telling them he wasn't just responsible for running B16. He created out of necessity due to the complacency of white men whose privilege has placed the country in a state of neglect. He hips them to the fact that while they, privileged white men, were busy destroying the country, he was the one making the real decisions for the good of the country, like when to go to war, what president sits in the Oval Office, the soldiers brought home in caskets, the freedom of citizens to sleep peacefully in their comfy beds, knowing no enemy was attacking America, and keeping the stock market afloat. God damn it, Eli Pope, a.k.a. Damascus Bainbridge, a.k.a. Command, a.k.a. Rowan, a black man, is the one who's really making America great. Senator Reston is like, do you want a parade for doing all that? He rattles off the many things he wants, but the icing on the cake would be to see the faces of complacent, privileged white men when they learn that a black man is the one who has really been running the country for the last 30 years and that their power only existed because of his black power. He got that committee shook it. Oh, the pearl clutching of it all. <laughs> Daddy Pope knows somebody has to take the fall. But in order to spare privileged white men the embarrassment of having been ruled by a black man, he will kindly let Jake and his whiteness have all the credit and all the prison time. Daddy Pope was, is, and always will be nothing to fuck with. Back at QPA, Quinn and Huck celebrate, but Abby can't be happy because the real good guy, David, is dead. Olivia pays Jake a visit in jail. She apologizes to him for making him step out of the sun with her. She's sorry for him being the one who's going to prison when all of them did dirt. He says prison is nothing. Again, what's prison to a B613 agent? 
Jake thanks her for showing up for him. Oh, well, no more Team Jake. Olivia calls Cyrus to the Oval Office and demands that he sign a letter of resignation. He offers her a drink. Cyrus, now you know Livy ain't stupid. He goes on about never being able to enjoy a drink again. Oh, well, you should have thought about that before you got all greedy, Cyrus. He signs the letter and gives Olivia a pat on the hand, and he gives a weary glance at the presidential seal on his way out the door. Millie wants Olivia to join her as vice president to help her restore faith in the American people. But Olivia politely turns her down, letting her know that she's finished with cleaning up other people's messes. She tells Melly that she doesn't need her because she's capable of running the country on her own and she knows Melly will do a great job. Melly asks, well, what would you do instead? Olivia says, anything she wants. And with that, she takes off down the streets of D.C., strutting and looking fly as always, sporting her signature fabulous white coat. She takes one last look at the White House like, yeah, I did that. A black woman ran the White House and a black man ran the free world. How about that? A black SUV pulls up beside Olivia. It's Fitz. Hi. Olivia's like, hi. Quinn and baby Robin greet Charlie outside the prison. Fitz reveals his presidential portrait. Hey, Fitz, looking all handsome in your blue suit. And the girls cutting their eyes at you. Oops, the color purple slipped in there. (laughs) Melly signs the American Assault Weapons Control Act of 2021. And then she snuggles up next to Marcus for a picture with her cabinet members. 2021, huh? Looks like old Melly got a second term and Marcus. Meanwhile, Jake's crazy ass is lying in prison, grinning at the memories of standing in the sun with Olivia. I guess if he can't have her in real life, a wet dream will do. That Olivia loving is something powerful. (laughs) After all, she has the face that launched a thousand ships. Alas, daddy and baby girl sit down for a real family dinner and share their favorite thing, fine wine. Abby and Huck say their goodbyes at David's grave. No, poor again, poor David. Finally, we see two little black girls strolling the halls of the National Portrait Gallery. They come to a halt in front of a portrait they can't take their eyes off of. It's Olivia Carolyn Pope. She's gorgeous and regal in a white collared blouse, a thick brown leather belt cinched at the waist, and a Cinderella-like flowing blue skirt and big, beautiful, natural hair. Hey, Madam President. So that was the series finale of Scandal. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and Scandal will forever be my favorite television show of all time. Thank you, Shonda Rhimes, for an amazing show, for amazing writing, and amazing actors, and amazing directors. You did your thing, Shonda Rhimes, and I am so proud of you. Thanks for taking the time to tune in to the Wordy Girl Entertainment Podcast. 
Don't forget to check out my blog at www.wordygirlent.com. That's W-O-R-D-Y-G-I-R-L-E-N-T.com. You can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at at WordyGirlENT and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash WordyGirlENT. And always remember, it all begins with a single word. So what are you waiting for? Go write. Go write.